you, as, as many of you are aware, uh, I am fresh off a conference, um, so uh, uh, I don't know that I'm any more fiery than I normally am, but I have uh, just really been meditating on some things over the past week or so, a couple, really few weeks, and God gave me a good opportunity as we were there just to sort of stew on some of those things. So uh, I hope to bring something out of that which will, which will encourage and bless you and, and perhaps call you. Um, back to Christ if there's some way in which you found yourself straying. And I imagine that most of us have something in our lives that we can look at and say that's not really honoring Jesus as much as it could. Am I right about that? Um, No matter how long you've been a believer, you're still a disciple. You're still a learner, an apprentice. The thing is, on this side of eternity, none of us are ever going to get our journeyman's license. You know that, right? We're all going to be apprentices the entire time, and Jesus is the master. And so uh, we, we do our best to walk with him, and if we stay close to him, then we know that we're going to be okay. Um, and so that's the challenge. But uh, I want to look at Galatians chapter 1 today, and some verses out of Galatians chapter 1. So while you're turning there, I just want to remember something. Now, my, my wife went in the nursery, I think, didn't she? So she's not going to hear this, but... Uh, you can tell her about it later. I, I, I was just remembering something as I was praying about this last night. Uh, I remembered how exciting it was to fall in love. Anybody have that? You know, you remember like when you first, let's, let's th- think about the person you married or, or, or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe just a time in your life when you just had a really exciting relationship. It was just ex- exciting. You know, somebody who, who pursued you, who cared about you. Uh, I remember one thing that Stacy and I did, one of the first uh, one of the first dates we had is we went on a hayride uh, in, out in Norman, I think it was. Anyway, I don't remember the exact location, but it was, it was fun. I was allergic, I'm allergic to hay. She didn't know that. She bought tickets, and I didn't complain. So uh, I just took a lot of Zyrtec before, and I was good. So, but um, but we, we went on a hayride, and it was just fun. And I just remember those first months of just like getting to know each other and how exciting it was. And every time you learn something about the person, it's like unwrapping another present, you know? And then, and, and then as time progresses, you just learn to appreciate each other more. But um, it, it really does feel amazing to be a part of something new and exciting. But oftentimes, we have a difficult time keeping marriage fresh, don't we? You, anyone, anyone observed that, that over time, sometimes... Uh, marriage isn't always as joyous as it was on day one because you've gotten to know each other a little too well and you know what's broken about that person just as much as you know what's beautiful about them. And so sometimes it can be a real challenge. Laura's really staring you down, Michael. I'm concerned here. (laughs) Um, But it's a challenge to keep our marriage fresh and alive. And, And I think that oftentimes it's the same in our spiritual walk with the Lord. We're very excited at first when we, when we come to learn of the Lord. And maybe, you're, you know, some of you are like me. You've been, it's like it's really hard to pinpoint when you started walking with Jesus because uh, I feel like I've been around the Lord since my childhood. Uh, my kids, whenever that we baptized them, was like they were just like, what is this? I said, well, we're declaring that we follow Jesus. Well, they're like, of course we follow Jesus. Uh, our family follows Jesus. It's like, yeah, we do. And uh, our children, by the way, Christians are Children of the covenant because we love Jesus, and that's beautiful. And so many times for those of us who've grown up in church and around good families who love Jesus and who've discipled us, we don't always know when that happened. But I do remember a time when God set my life on fire. I was around 12 years old, 
and I had, uh, I, I had known of Jesus, and I knew a lot about Jesus, but I remember hearing the gospel preached and remembering how much I needed Jesus, and, 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 and it just became fresh to me in that moment where I really understood how much I needed him, and, and that was a defining moment in my life. It was an altar that I've built in the past that I can look back on that day and remember how Christ, how God visited me. The Spirit spoke to me, and I learned of him. I've had many of those, actually. I have had a, a time when I was a teenager when God spoke to me through dreams, and he called me to preach the gospel. And I didn't want to, but he kept sending me dreams. And, and then uh, people who would be like, hey, you're supposed to preach. And I'd be like, uh, no. Uh, I want to be a rock star. That was my dream, by the way. I wanted to be a rock star. And uh, I finally said, I'll be a rock star for you, Jesus. And then God kept saying, no, you're going to be a preacher. And, um, and then he said, you're going to be a pastor. I was like, really, God? I mean, at least you could have made me a Billy Graham or something. But no, uh, I, I, that's not, well, it was not his calling. But he's refreshed my life many times. And uh, it seems like when I find myself going down a path where things are dry and stale and stagnant, God's always there to call me home. And I believe it's true for all of us who are walking with him that he is there to call us home and to remind us of what it is he called us to in the first place. In our marriages, we have to work to keep them fresh, don't we? Uh, if I want my wife to know that I, I still love her as I did in, 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 the, in the first day when we were together, actually even more, like I'm more proud of her than I've ever been. She's, she is the mother of my children. I mean, those of you who are women know what an ordeal that is. I mean, it's happened three times to, to her. God bless her soul. And, 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 uh, and, and the Lord, who knows what the Lord has in store for the future. There may be more. We don't know. Um, but it's in his hands. But all I know is that, that uh, I'm very proud of my wife, but she needs to know that. So I have to go back and I have to do nice things for her or, or, or write her a note, <laughs> remind her. And sometimes I have to contemplate on what is beautiful about my wife so that my mind continues to be in the right place and then our marriage stays fresh and healthy and strong and we don't grow apart. It takes work to have a good marriage, right? Barbara can attest to that. 46 years, it's taken a lot of work, hasn't it, Barbara? I've only been married 13 years and I have put in a lot of work, so I can't even imagine. But what I do know is that if we want a vibrant spirituality, we've got to put in the work too. I heard a quote this week from a book I haven't yet read, but now it's on my list. It's a book called Movements That Change the World, and the author is a man named Steve Addison. And the quote is, great movements begin with white-hot faith. We're very fickle people, aren't we? You ever observe this about people? One minute, somebody can be your best friend. You offend them, and the next minute, they hate you. Um, you know, somebody you've grown up with from childhood, you say something about, about uh, you say, make a conservative statement on Facebook, and all of a sudden, you're the enemy, and you're a bigot, even though they've known your character your entire life. It's the society that we live in. We're very fickle. We're very uh, focused on one thing, and we have a really hard time breaking out of that. In our walk with Jesus... We're often very fickle. It reminds me of the old hymn, you know, Come Thou Fount, right? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How quick are we to walk away from Jesus when times get tough or whenever we're not feeling very spiritual? I remember a time uh, a few years ago, I was in a very difficult phase in my ministry. I was serving in a church 
that was a difficult church to serve in. The pastor, uh, I was a young 20-year-old, 20 no, 21-year-old. I, had, I knew nothing. <laughs> I thought I knew more than I did, but I knew nothing in those days. And I, uh, I just loved Jesus, and I, and I, and I wanted to preach because I knew he called me to, and, uh, and I wanted to disciple people. That was my passion. But I didn't know anything about, about how, to, how to be a pastor. I knew nothing of that. And uh, the pastor in this particular church expected me to know more than a 21-year-old who had never been discipled in these things would have possibly known and didn't want to bring, he didn't want to help. He didn't want to bring me along, no mentoring. And, um, and, and, and it was very, very difficult. And I was depressed, in all honesty. I was very depressed because I was stuck there because God told me to go and I accepted the call and I was in this church and it was difficult. I didn't know what I was doing and there was no one to help. And so for about three weeks... The only time I read my Bible was to prepare for sermons. That was not a good season in my life. It was very dry. I felt absolutely, uh, I just felt terrible. And I was depressed. And that is not normal for me, by the way. I don't, like, I'm not a depressed or, I'm not a melancholy person. I am, uh, I'm kind of an optimist to a fault sometimes. Um, But I was depressed. And, um, and, and, and I, didn't really know what to do, and I remember one day I was driving home. It was a little bit of a distance from where we lived. I was in college at the time, and, uh, and I just pulled over on the side of the road, and I just broke down. I was just, I was done. <laughs> and I remember hearing the Lord say, come back to me. And, uh, and, and I, <laughs> first I'm thinking, Lord, I'm over here doing your work. I'm preaching like you told me to. And the Lord continued to, to draw me back. Come back. You, know, he, you, you haven't been pursuing me for me. And God said, read my word even when you don't feel like it. Pray even when you don't feel like it. And I heard it clearly in my soul, the Lord calling me home. And you know, the, something happened to me. I started... I went back to the Word, started reading, and asking God to speak to me. You know what this crazy thing is? Is He did. <laughs> I, I'd spent all this time, you know, running from, it's sort of running from Him, but, but like running from Him in my work for Him. I was actually holding my good works over God's head, expecting Him to give me something in return. Instead of coming to Him and resting in His grace. And that was another defining moment in my life. And now I find myself going to the scriptures, especially when I don't feel like it. Because he taught me a lesson in that, in my dryness. We, we've got to return to God if we want to see a move of God. Church, that's a really important statement. We have to return to God if we want to see a move of God. I think there are so many Christians around us who are just sitting going to church on Sunday, maybe uh, turning on the TV and watching a preacher every now and then so they're not watching all, you know, soap operas or whatever it is. Just something godly and, 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 and maybe reading a daily devotional, things like that. I mean, it's, all those are great things. But for so many of us, we're just kind of waiting on God to do something when he's already called us out to come and join him. Now, it's a good thing to wait on the Lord, but it's not a good thing to wait on the Lord when he said to come, right? And so, uh, 
It's not magic. God gives us grace, but we've got to contend for the faith in our own hearts. So how do we do that? We do it through spiritual discipline. We do it through, through I mean, I, I, I say the two most important things for every Christian is to take in God's word and to pray and do it. Fip up, right? We, we've been talking about this. <laughs> Frequently, instantly, and persistently. We, we pray. We pray much, okay? Bad grammar, but we pray much. We, we pray a lot. We pray frequently. We pray instantly every time we see something that needs to be prayed about, even if it seems silly to us. You know, people would make fun of people. When I remember people making fun of those who would, like, pray for a good parking spot at Walmart. Like, God cares about that. Yeah, you know what? Pray about that. You know why? Because God is your Father. He wants to commune with you. Always pray. Pray about every little silly thing. You know why? Because the Father wants you to talk to Him. He wants that relationship. Instantly pray for everything. And God's not going to look at you and mock you and say, oh, that's so silly that you prayed for that little thing. God cares about the little things in your life. And persistently, let's pray. We persist in our prayers. If God hasn't given us an answer, we keep praying. And that's, that's okay. It's good. Jesus says that we are to ask, seek, and knock. Right? So, we've got to contend. We have got to be at, at work. Now, the Spirit is going to, by grace, empower us in that work. But we've got to go to work. So, let's take a look at the Scriptures. Now that we've sort of seen what our problem is, we've got this, I think, a lot of spiritual apathy around us. And maybe for some of us, we've been caught up in that. So let's go ahead and introduce the book. I'm not going to necessarily preach on the introduction, but there's some good stuff here. Okay, so let's not miss it. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with, who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our uh, God uh, I'm sorry will of our God and Father to him be the glory forever and ever that's a that's a packed verse right there isn't it i mean good night verse 3 you could verse 3 and 4 we could and 5 those three verses right there we could probably spend the entire time talking about those but i would actually encourage you to go home and contemplate on that yourself at home okay um, I would really encourage you to take some time this week to pray over what that means because Paul pretty much packs the gospel into those three little verses. What I want to focus on this morning is what flows out of that because he sort of, for us in those verses, reminds us of our gospel, right? Um, you know, for grace and peace to you from, from God, the Father, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. Sort of a good summary of the gospel, isn't it? Um, you would think the Apostle Paul would be good at that. So we're thankful that guys like that, that God gave us men like that, who could succinctly remind us, hey, it's about Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Right? It's really important. It's really important for us to remember. And it's about his glory. Now, he's going to remind the Galatians and us of something really important. So, let me encourage you. Let's have our spiritual ears open. In fact, I think before we get to this next part, we probably better take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to open our ears. So, Spirit of God, 
we want to ask that you would open our ears to this truth this morning because we're going to read some scripture. And the reality is that we have no ability to comprehend this unless you supernaturally grant it to us. And so we ask that you would do that miracle work that only you can do, God, and that is to allow our hearts to actually understand what you're trying to say from these words. May we, may we sniff the aroma, the fragrance of Jesus as we look into these words. And Father, may it be transformative for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verse 6. This is where we're going to focus this morning. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now, and I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For, now I, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul, Paul would have certainly continued on the path he was on if he wanted to please people, right? Before the Damascus Road, where he was, he was persecuting the church. The Jews were real happy with him. He was a high-ranking leader in the community. But he gave all that away when he followed Jesus. And then he became persecuted himself and eventually was martyred. But not a time did he recant Jesus. You know why? Because he had come to learn that Jesus was the only thing that was true. Let's go back to our gospel. Let's think for a moment about what God has called us to. Because this truth is important. And there's a couple things we want to look for in this. One is, what is God saying to us? And the other is, who is he and what has he done for us? Those are important questions. A prominent, and I, I want to throw out to you that a prominent version of a dis, different gospel, as Paul would call it, in our times is indifferent and lazy Christianity. Now, last week, Pastor Richard spoke to us about spiritual slumber. And, uh, and I've chewed on that. And, and, and he's right. Much of the church in our day, in our nation, and in the Western world is asleep. Even those of us who are our most committed believers, oftentimes, we're not awake to the things of God as we should be. We find ourselves sleeping rather than contending for the gospel and for the faith in our own hearts. And that's why we don't practice the spiritual disciplines. That's why we don't read the Bible. That's why we don't pray. Thomas Watson, the famous Puritan preacher of old, wrote, It is possible to carry much of Christ in our Bibles without carrying him in our hearts. A different gospel for us may not necessarily be unorthodox and may not be bad doctrine. Although I will tell you there is plenty of that out there and if you want it, you can go find it. But I would say for most believers, a different gospel doesn't look like that. We've got our theology, we've got our doctrine, we believe in the basic gospel message of Jesus lived for us, he died for us, he rose from the dead, he's coming again someday to restore all things. Like we got that down, right? Hopefully. 
But then we get to thinking that we get to thinking that we don't really need to be that serious about it. Or as Pastor Richard said, when he was saved as a teenager, he thought he really didn't need Jesus again, or as a little kid actually, wasn't it? He thought he really didn't need Jesus again until Jesus came back someday because he had his fire insurance. He's like, I'm going to heaven, so I'm good, and just go, you know, maybe try to be a decent person, and, and then when Jesus comes back, I'm good. But Jesus is not just the ABC of the gospel, admit, believe, and confess. Anybody remember that? We got that I got that in VBS, got it drilled into my head. He's not just the ABCs of the gospel. He's the A to Z of the gospel, and the gospel is A to Z of our lives. It's everything to us. It's everything. I'm going to read some, I'm reading some things that may be some difficult words, and I'm just going to tell you right now, they're not just difficult for you to hear. They've been difficult for me to read, okay? So I'm not sharing with you out of something I haven't been wrestling through myself. But I, I heard the Lord say this to my heart. I think that one of the primary reasons renewal doesn't come in many American churches is because renewal requires fresh fire and fire burns up what is dead and too many of us like the dead stuff. I think that's true. I think that if we're going to see renewal and revival in our times, Christians, we first have to recommit ourselves to Jesus and to hating our sin and to hating the brokenness around us. We, we have to be honest about the ethics of the kingdom of heaven. And ask whether or not we're in line with those things. If God is going to use our church. Now, I'm not accusing, okay? I want to make sure. And, and, and I'm not, I don't have any specific person in mind for this sermon, okay? So, so let's just be, be clear on that. This is what the Lord's been dealing with me. And, and I feel like the Lord, how the Lord is calling me to call the church. When I first was called to ministry, not long after that, I guess actually it was a little ways after, it was when I was in college, the Lord gave me a clear word, and the word was, I've called you to challenge and equip my church. Sometimes the challenging has to come before the equipping, and I'm challenging a little bit right now. But God's challenging me as, 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 as a pastor as well. What does it mean for us to come away from the margins and return to the center where Jesus is? What does it mean for our faith to be white hot? I think part of it is repentance. And repentance is not just for the lost. Repentance is for the Christian. There are times in our lives, many times, when we have to come back and we have to say, okay, Jesus, I walked away from you in this area. I've been acting like I'm the king of my own life over here. So I need to take that crown off and hand it to you and kneel down before you and recommit my service to you. That's what repentance is. Repentance isn't just about being forgiven for our sins. Repentance is about a realignment of our will to the will of God. It's, it's a shift in our hearts. That's why we call the first part of salvation regeneration, and we used to talk about conversion, because you were a heathen, and now you're following Jesus, right? You were dead, and now you're alive. You've been converted. We, back in the day, we didn't just say, you've been saved, because the reality is, we have been saved, but we're also being saved, and we're going to be saved. Salvation is complicated. But we can say that my heart has been regenerated because God made me a new creation when I repented and believed the gospel. And repentance is a gift of grace. In other words, you can't have faith unless God gives you the grace in order to have faith. And if you have the gift of grace, you can repent. You can turn away from your sins. You can. 
How do I know? Because I know the Holy Spirit empowers, and he's not going to tell us that he will do something in us and then not do it. He will give us the power to conquer our sins. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, just a few chapters over, I say to you, therefore, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now the question, church, is do we believe God's word? Because God tells us these things are possible, that we don't have to be lazy in our Christianity. We don't have to have this this, uh, apathy in our Christianity, that we can be on fire. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, they call him the Prince of Preachers, and for a good reason. Uh, I've been listening to some of his messages on podcasts that people have, it's not him, they didn't have that technology back then, but people are reading his sermons and podcasting them, and just like, wow, no kidding, the Prince of Preachers in our time. Anyway, um, but uh, he says, if you profess to be a Christian, yet find full satisfaction in worldly pleasures and pursuits, your profession is false. Now, I, I would not say that the point of that is to make us doubt whether or not we're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you know you're in Christ. You've seen the fruit of the Spirit. You've seen the power of Jesus at work in your life. But I do think that for us who are following Jesus, it does call us back to the center from the margins, doesn't it? And, and perhaps it is possible that there are some who've professed Jesus, but they've never actually received that regenerating power of the Spirit that transforms their lives. And, and you need that. Because I promise you, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be able to look to Jesus and appeal to all your good works. He, in fact, has said, many, of, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Now, what's the deal? These people experience signs and wonders, and yet they're still on the road to hell? How is that even, how is that possible? Listen, none of us who are true believers are ever going to stand before Jesus bragging about what we did. I promise you that. We are going to stand before Jesus and we're going to say, Lord, thank you for your grace that empowered me to be here. This is nothing of my own. Those of us who are in Christ, we understand that. <laughs> we, we don't have anything to bring before God. We, we, we have nothing that we could possibly earn from God. Everything we have is a grace gift. And so we work from grace, not towards it. That's an important thing to remember, too. Uh, this is another tough word, but hey, I'm just throwing them out there today. This is from our, our friend, Pastor David Shea, who pastors Living Word in uh, Somerville, Pennsylvania. But he said this at the conference this week, most of the problems we deal with in our church come from the fact that many of our people really don't believe God's word is true. I think that is something that's worth considering because we may believe God's word, like we may assent to it and say, oh yes, of course I believe the Bible. But the question is, do we really believe God's word is true? Because when you believe something, that means you're stepping into it. We've often thought of belief as only a mental assent. That is not what the Bible means when it says believe. When the Bible says repent and believe, what the Bible means is I want you to not only turn away from your sins and to Christ, but then start taking steps towards Christ. That is what scripture calls us to. And I just want to ask for every one of us to consider, because if we want to see God move, we have got to return to him, right? Is there any way in your heart in which you have run from God and you have not yet returned to him yet and to his lordship? We must be a holy and purified church if we want to be the church God uses in our city. Listen, he loves you. How do I know? 
Well, at one, he sent Jesus to die for you, and two, look where you are right now. God cares enough about you to remind you about his grace in your life and who you are, who he is. Second important thing that Paul mentions here is the true gospel. He says, have you so quickly left the true gospel? Again, for us, oftentimes it's the lazy gospel that, 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 uh, that's a revivalist sort of gospel that says, hey, as long as you've made a decision about Jesus, you're good someday. You really don't need to do anything about it now. You know, when we all get to heaven, that's the next time we're going to worry about it. That's not the scriptures. The scriptures call us to a life of dedication to Jesus. The kingdom of the heavens is available to you now, Christ says. Not just someday. Someday it's going to be cool. I mean, listen, nobody who gets into heaven is going to be bummed about it. I guarantee you that. But heaven is now in many ways for us. Eternity is today. And so God has called us to live like it. So the second thing is we need to remember there is only one legitimate gospel and no one has any right to change it. One legitimate gospel. And that is what the... the the scriptures have told us, and by the way, the command is to repent and believe it. Again, turn away from our sins and to Jesus and begin walking towards him in belief. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, there are those who would tell us, uh, oh, sorry, this is an exact quote, but this is my uh, sort of paraphrase of the idea. There are many who would tell us that we don't really need genuine repentance and that all we need is to profess Christ and we're good. But Paul reminds us in in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that we are always to be checking ourselves to make sure that we're actually in the faith. Paul says, examine yourselves. Now, if you're a true believer, you have nothing to worry about, do you? And actually, even if you're lost, you have nothing to worry about because if you're examining yourself, the Spirit's probably calling. Otherwise, you wouldn't care. Those of us who are in Christ, as I mentioned earlier, are called to work from grace. We've received grace, so now we work out of it because we're free. We live different, right? We live new lives because we have new life in Christ. And just because I, I, I have to read these quotes from all these old dead guys because they're great, I'm going to read another Charles Spurgeon quote because it's that good. It is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. Do you understand the theme that he's getting at? And he goes on a little bit, but... Uh, but at the end of the day, he wants us to remember that we're to look not to our hope, but to Jesus, the source of our hope. That's good news. Even if the Spirit may come and call us out of our dead works, we need to remember that changing our dead works is not going to merit us anything before God. If we change our dead works, it's only because we remember who we are and we're returning back to him. Now, if you've never received Jesus, that's a different story. But I'm talking to Christians because this is Sunday morning and it's the church gathering. Okay, so I'm expecting the majority of, my, of, of our congregation today are following Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're, or online watching and you're not, we want to have a conversation. But I'm here to remind Christians of who we are today. Because if we remember who we are today, God can do a work in us. He can draw us from the margins back to the center in our Christianity. And it is Christ who is the author and finisher of your faith, not you. Isn't that good, good news? Listen, I, I have had many times in my life where if I was the author and finisher of my own faith, I would have lost it a long time ago. 
but God is the one who holds you. One of the great cries of, of the Reformation and Protestant Christianity is that the believer will persevere because we're in Christ, not because of our own works. We trust in the tree. We trust in the tree that we are in, that we're grafted into. We don't, we're not necessarily going to trust in ourselves as branches, but we sure do want to produce good fruit, don't we? Because we're in the tree, and when we produce good fruit, it shows the world that we're in the tree, and it also shows the world what the tree is like. And we want to bring glory to him. That should be our aim as followers of Christ. And the third thing ties into that. If our aim in faith is anything but the glory of God, it's not Christian faith. And Paul says that in verse 10. He, he, he reminds us that it's about the glory of God. It's not about people liking us, right? It's not about being popular. It's not about saying the right kinds of things. Listen, this is a big deal today because the world is really pressuring us, isn't it? The world is really pressure, pressuring us to walk in a certain way, to abdicate to certain things. Can we just say that the world's sexual ethic is a little different than ours? Seems like it's getting more and more different than ours. The world's ethics on business and politics and the world wants us to get nasty with each other. And Christians, I just think that we're called to reject that. There's a lot of things that we can look at. We have grace in Jesus. And ultimately, it's about the glory of God for us. It's not about looking good or winning an argument or having people like us. In fact, the scriptures say, Cursed are you when all men speak well of you. So go figure, you know. Scriptures say that's how they treated the false prophets. But what has happened to the real prophets? They, most, many of them were martyred, including our Lord. So what can we expect if we're walking in the ways of Jesus? We're not going to be loved by the world. Not very often. They'll like us as long as we're saying nice things. It's like, you know, um, they'll like certain things. They'll take certain things. You know, everybody likes the verse in the scripture that says, judge not lest you be judged. Of course, they don't understand what God means when he says judge. Or, or don't judge. They don't understand the context or what the scripture means about judgment. It, it's not saying you have license to be an idiot. <laughs> it's, it's not what the scriptures teach, but that's how the world takes it. They like certain things about Jesus and his teaching. They really aren't a big fan of the thing about how he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or things about sexual ethics and marriage and how we're only supposed to be married to one person our whole lives. And it, See, the world doesn't like a lot of that stuff. Doesn't like it. But as long as we don't offend them, you know, oh, those are just some really nice people who do nice things for our community. But then we start preaching the gospel, and then they're, they're, that, that upsets them, and we should expect that. But church, it's not about us or our glory. It's about the glory of God. Oftentimes, we're asking the wrong questions with regards to faith in the church. Because many times, we're asking, what's in it for me? When we should be asking, how will I honor God in this? Or what am I going to get out of this when we should be honoring, honoring, asking how we can honor God through it? Sometimes the greatest thing you can do for God is sit through something that's difficult for you to sit through just for his glory. Or go minister to somebody you don't like just for his glory. He's really called us to get over ourselves for the sake of the kingdom, hasn't he? In many ways. And yet we're very bad at that as a society, so it's a practice for us. Is it going to be about God's glory for us? 
God is always going to be about his glory. And you can be sure that any faith that puts the primary emphasis on people rather than God is not coming from God. And we have to be careful about that. I want to read a quote from Dallas Willard. Um, and, and here's what he wrote. This is in his book on, uh, it's called The Allure of Gentleness. But he says, our activities must come within a framework of discipleship in which we are constantly dependent upon the interaction of the Holy Spirit with our souls. One in which we depend upon our, uh, our natural abilities and relationships in the, or, sorry, one in which we refuse to depend upon our natural abilities and relationships in the world, social as well as physical, apart from God. I thought that was so good for this because it's a reminder that if, if it's not by the Spirit, why would we do it? If it's not, a, and, and the Spirit's always about the glory of Jesus. Remember, the Spirit came to reveal Christ to the world, right? So if it's the Spirit moving through us, we're going to be about the things of Jesus and about His glory, and He's going to be moving us closer to the center, to the place where He is all glorious in our souls and away from the margins where we're lazy and slumbering. In the center, it's like being in a kiln where the metal heats up and eventually we can have that white-hot faith. But as long as we're living on the margins, we'll never have it. You may still make it into heaven someday, as Paul writes, by the skin of your teeth. But wouldn't you much rather be the one who doesn't have to barely get in I'm just telling you guys, I just would rather be that guy than the one who wastes my life on something that isn't kingdom-related. The reality is, if we pour ourselves into the kingdom by pouring ourselves into the church of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, isn't that the future anyway? All these other things are going to fade away. So if we want to invest our lives somewhere where it's going to actually matter, we're going to invest it in the glory of Jesus and in his people and in his kingdom. When we get to heaven, we're not going to care about how big our retirement account was or what kind of house we lived in or what kind of car we drove. We're just not going to care about those things. We're not going to care about whether or not we were, we, we were you know, married to the most beautiful person or, or, or whether we were, you know, whatever it might be that the world uses to ju judge whether or not you know, we're, we're successful. We're not going to care about how many followers we had on Facebook or Twitter or how many subscribers we had to our YouTube channel. None of that stuff's going to matter. All we're going to care about is whether we invested our lives in the glory of Jesus or not. I think what God is calling us to this morning is to invest in what matters. I did call this sermon back to the center because I think that's where he's calling us. So what, what, what are we going to do? I'm going to try to finish up kind of, kind of quick. So um, I'm going to just give you a few application points. And... Uh, and maybe, it, maybe something will resonate with you. What will we do? Well, I want to remind us of a few things about ourselves. We are they who have been empowered to live as Christ would live if he were us. That's who we are. We have the Holy Spirit if we're in Christ. And we have been empowered to live as Jesus would live if he were us. So why would we want to waste such meaning and significance on lazy, slumbering Christianity? Again, this may not be speaking to you specifically. You might be white hot. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. I don't know where any of us are in this room other than people I talk to on a regular basis. And I will tell you, maybe for a lot of us, maybe we're like glowing orange, but I don't know that we're white hot. But God wants us to be white hot. 
The second thought is that we are they who have received the true gospel, so let's not take the Turkish delight when we can have fellowship with Aslan. Now, some of you may not have read Narnia, so that doesn't make any sense to you. That's okay. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, great book. Okay, but, uh, but there's a little boy in the book, and, and the white witch offers him Turkish delight. Mm, candy, right? What kid does? It's the ultimate creepy situation where a stranger in a sleigh offers you candy. Don't get in, kids. Don't get in. Okay, but the kid takes the candy, and he, rather than having fellowship with the king, he fellowship with the enemy, and all he got was something that was gone like that. That's what it is when we go into the world and accept the things of the world rather than fellowship with God. Why would we want that? It's fleeting. It's gone in a moment. Third thing is that we are they who were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We lost it by rebellion. We gained it back through the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our faith isn't about us to begin with, is it? Oftentimes we live like it is, but it's not. It's about displaying the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ. So why would we want to waste an opportunity to join the entire universe in the chorus of his praise? God's goal. I I just, David Shea had some good quotes uh, at the conference. So Um, God's goal is his glory and his goal is his kingdom. He's not keeping them from us. If there's a problem, it's with us. I wrote that down because I needed it. Okay, it's, it's so good. It's so good. And it's a good reminder. So what are we going to do with that? I think uh, there's a couple things we can do. One, maybe that if you find yourself, that maybe if you've, as you look inside, you realize maybe you've been living as a lazy Christian. I think God is calling all of us to repent, to believe, and to do the works of Jesus again. Remember what it was like in the beginning when it was exciting and new and you tasted the fruit of Jesus, the grace of Jesus for the first time? Let's pray that God will take us back there in our excitement for our faith and return to him. A second thought in this is that if, if you have allowed a soft, lazy, and deluded or perverted version of the gospel to creep into your mind, repent, believe, and do the works of Jesus from here on out. Receive healing from the Lord on that. Come back to the gospel that is the true gospel. It may be hard. It may, it may be difficult. You may be unpopular, but that's where he's called us to be. Third is that if you've made your life about and your religion about yourself, repent, believe, and do the works of Jesus from this point onward. Do you see a theme here? God's calling us from the margins back to the center. And maybe you've never even been in the center. Maybe you haven't fully obeyed him. Maybe you've heard his call, but you've never been baptized. What are you waiting on? Maybe you've heard him speak to you, but you just haven't done much about it. Maybe you've never heard him speak, and for the first time, you're hearing the Lord say to you, come home to me, my child. Let me just encourage us, no matter where we stand, Let's not be lazy and allow the opportunity to be so close and connected to the Lord to fade away. I know that Jesus is calling us back to the center, to faith where he is central. And we we must ask if we're ready to go with him. Um, It's not going to be easy. 
As I mentioned earlier, the best way to clear out dead wood is a controlled burn. That doesn't, and that doesn't sound very comfortable. If God sends fresh fire, it's going to burn things up. If he sends it in our hearts, there are going to be things we love that are going to be burned away. If he sends it in our church, there are going to be some who will be consumed by it and who may walk away from the faith because they never really had it to begin with. But there will also be some who have never yet received it who will see the light and they'll come running home. I'm going to leave us with a thought. I know I've delivered a lot today. This is probably, could have been two sermons, but I just really felt led to share some things that God had put on my heart as I've been meditating. And I want to ask you to contemplate what is the dead wood Jesus wants to burn away inside of you? I want to also ask you if you love Jesus more than you love that thing and what's he calling you to do about it. Uh, we will, um, we're going we're gonna to dismiss here in a minute, but uh, we're going to have a time of open prayer. So I know Pastor Richard, myself, and some others, you know, pa- you know Pastor Michael, several of us will be around. Uh, you don't have to come to a pastor. You don't have to be ordained to pray for people. So uh, there are many in this room who are very gifted as intercessors. And so find somebody who can pray with you if you need to do business with God today, let's make this the day that God began the work of white-hot faith in our hearts so that he might use us to call people all around us back to the center from the margins. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for today's word. And Father, I know this is not an easy word. I Honestly, wasn't super thrilled to preach some of this, but I knew that you wanted to say this. And so, Father, I'm going to pray that you would just do your work in our hearts. And uh, for many of us, that's not going to mean something that's big and bright and flashy, and uh, some, you know, it's it's not going to be a huge conversion moment or anything like that. What it's going to be is a simple returning, and it's not going to look pretty. It's just going to be something mundane, but. It's what we have to do. We've got to return to you. And for some of us, it's just a call to stay the course that we're already on and, and maybe even to grow in it and to allow you to move even more in our lives. Whatever it is for each of us, Lord, I'm going to ask that you would do a work in this church and through this church. We know we're here for a reason. We know you've called us to be here for a purpose. We know there's a campus across the street that, that even though it's a Christian school, there are many there who don't believe the gospel, and we need to minister to them. We know there are, there are homes all around this area, 200,000 people within a five-mile radius where the majority of those people don't walk with Jesus, and you've called us to call them home. But to be ready to do the ministry you've called us to do, we ourselves have to make sure we're at home. So, Lord, lead us in your ways. Lead us in your truth. And then, Father, as you minister to us, Father, we pray that you would minister through us to our community. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I just hope that God blesses you this week. And church, I just want to thank you for for being here and also for the blessing that you are uh, to me and to others. And uh, I'm praying that God blesses you and gives you an incredible week. So God bless. Well, and and like, like I said, hang around if you want prayer. We're going to be here.